turn please to Jude. Um, I was going to read from verse 5, but we'll read from verse 20 through to verse uh, 23. So, little epistle of Jude. Will we ever finish it, you're thinking, eventually. <laughs> so, Jude uh, 20. This is the word of God. Uh, Jude uh, verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And in some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment Defiled by the flesh. Amen. Verse 22. And in some have compassion, making a distinction. Now beside making, in your uh, uh, Bible, there will be a little one or a little uh, A, as we sometimes note. It takes you to a marginal note, which it indicates a variation in the, uh, the text, suggesting have compassion or mercy on those who are doubting. Now, following that rendition, the NIV reads, verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. The ESV, and have mercy on those who doubt. The NASB, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Now, obviously, we pray for mercy, And having discovered the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are then entrusted with the responsibility and the privilege of being merciful towards others. Now, uh, we've been recipients of grace also, um, but mercy and grace are really the two, two sides of one coin. Let me take a moment just to explain the distinction. If we think of grace in terms of what God lavishes upon us, even though we do not deserve it, then the flip side of that would be that in mercy, God does not give us what we deserve, and he refrains from executing his uh, his justice upon us by executing that judgment on his dearly beloved son. Now Jude has been addressing these matters of great significance. His concern is that those who were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, ourselves obviously, would take seriously their responsibility of contending for the faith that has been once for all delivered, given to the saints. And Jude has reminded them from the very outset of this letter that God has multiplied his mercy toward them. And if you can cast your mind back a couple of weeks, at the end of verse 21, he was reminding his readers that they were actually looking, they were waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So we're waiting for the return of uh, Jesus and when Christ returns then that which is ours in part will be ours in fullness fully revealed to us 
welcomed on that day on account of the mercy of God towards us. Now, the Bible uh, centers on this, as you know. If you were to take a concordance and look up the word mercy, you would find yourself immediately at passages like Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul is reminding his readers, we were by nature children of wrath. That's what we deserve. We didn't deserve mercy. Uh, We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's justice. So we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see, beloved, religion in terms of an external construction whereby an individual tries to make oneself acceptable to God. Religion will uh, either end, uh, will eventually end in one or two things. It will end in despair because we are aware of the fact that we cannot even meet our own standards, let alone God's standards. Or it ends in pride, believing somehow or another that we are actually able to keep the standards. So in short, it's a religion of the Pharisee. You know the story in the Gospels in Luke 18, verse 10 to 14. You know, that picture so clearly um, self-righteousness. You know, the Pharisee congratulating himself, patting himself in the back. Praying thus with himself, not praying to God, no matter what he was thinking. Praying thus with himself, saying how good he was. And Jesus, if you remember in that passage in Luke, is making the point that what was required was mercy. And the one who was declared in the right, the one who was declared having a right standing before God was not the one who was standing and said, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do the other, and thereby seeking to justify himself. But the one who stood at a distance and said, as he beat his breast, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. My friends, what Jude has done in this last section is remind his readers of the scoffers who would come. The ones who would come saying, you don't need to you know, confess all of that sin stuff. The ones who would come and decry the gospel. So Judah's been reminding his readers of the scoffers, and then he has encouraged them to make sure that in the light of that, they... And we ourselves, obviously, as readers and studiers of the book, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, building ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says, following following the NIV, ESV, NASAB rendering, Now he says, verse 22, I need to exhort you 
to deal mercifully with doubters and disputers. You know, friends, when this letter was read for the first time, and indeed since, there were and are people listening to this who have said, well, this, this is really important, because I doubt. There's only one reason for Jude to address those who are doubters. And that's because he knows that there are doubters who are in the congregation. And we know within our own congregation and indeed other congregations, there are people sitting who have not actually come to a really convinced position about Jesus or a convinced position about the Bible or a convinced position about what it means to be in the wrong and how someone needs to be put right. And also, isn't it possible that maybe there sits within our own congregation and maybe there's more than we think because we we tend to conceal it. There are people who doubt and they feel that that would be you know, a dreadful disgrace if anybody knew that they were in that position because after all, they've been Christians for X amount of years. Uh, They're perceived as being stalwarts of the faith, but they wrestle with doubts. They keep it to themselves because, well, they think everybody else doesn't wrestle with doubts. Well, it would be dreadful if someone was to, you know, discover that, you know, Uh, Someone, you know, is uh, doubting in whatever area and then decided that the way they would uh, tackle that would be to take the person's doubts and denounce them. You know, look at at Sadie, who's been a Christian for 20 years and has just found out she she doubts. You know, she, she, she has doubts about hell or she has doubts about you know, some aspect of the feeding of the 5,000, or she, she doubts about whether God's in control of things or not because there's so much pain in the world. And she wrestles with these things and denounces the person or takes their distrust and doubt and seeks to, to argue with them. You know, you know, that would be to violate the clear distinction that is provided here. Because Jude is actually saying that dealing with the doubts and the disputers, it's not about winning an argument. It's actually about wooing them, winning them. It's actually about saving them. Now, I don't mean in this context, you know, saving them from sin as such. I mean, it's just saving them from their doubts because doubts can rob you of your peace. It can rob you of your joy. Uh, wrestling with a lot of these things. And, you know, Jude says, you know, about saving your brothers and sisters, saving them from that torment. And I take it here in verses 22 and 23. Uh, Jude has two groups of people in mind. Now, I know that some commentators read this and say there's three groups of people. Some actually read it and say there's four. I don't know how they get that, but they do. But I take it that there's two groups of people here. So first of all, 
Have mercy on those who doubt. Who are these people? Well, I take it that these are folks who perhaps have been attracted by the claims that has been brought by these folks who have crept in. Verse 5, isn't it? Or verse 4. You know, these people who have crept in, verse 4, unnoticed. And they present, you know, uh, that they are, you know, they're, they're present, okay? And they're having an impact. So do you, do you understand, it's not that people are unaffected by this error, as people creep in unnoticed. You know, it does have an impact, and, it, and it's, it's just that they're, because it's having an, an, an impact, it's just that these people are not certain anymore about some aspects of their faith. So they find themselves in a quandary. They find themselves doubting. Doubting maybe about Jesus, who is our only Lord and Master. And of course, these people who have crept in are saying, no, uh, we deny that Jesus is the only Master and Lord. I mean, Jesus, yeah, we all believe in Jesus. He's a good guy. You know, you can think of him as you want. But, you know, we don't go as far to say, you know, that he is the only Lord and Master. We're not that exclusive. You know, you got to think about all of these other people. And so these folks are creeping in, unnoticed, peddling their false doctrines. And people are affected by it and they're starting to say, well, I don't know whether he is you know, the only Lord or not. And they begin to doubt. Doubting about the nature of freedom. You know, within a Jewish context, they had been brought up to believe the Ten Commandments was the moral law, and it framed a way of life once people became Christians from a Gentile background. Wow, they're introduced to the Ten Commandments and God's law, and they see that, yeah, this isn't a letter uh, you know, for acceptance with God, but it is actually a mirror that shows me my sinful condition and I need mercy. Did the same for the Jews also, but now these people have come in. And what are they saying? No, you don't really need to be tied up with all that law business. You, you really don't need to be so, you know, so serious. You don't, you don't need to be so scrupulous. Like, would you just lighten up a little bit? And being confronted with this and listening to it, they inevitably become wobblers. And they need to be steadied. And Judah is saying, you need to say to them, look out, be very careful, because what these folks are doing is very dangerous. It is, if you like, what Judah is doing here, it's a preventative a call to preventative care. It's a call to pray for our friends, to be patient with our friends, to be persevering with them. So there are those who are wobbling. They're not sure about the return of Jesus. They're wondering. They're unsettled by some of the things that they've been reading or whatever. And what Judah is saying to to quote uh, or to paraphrase, Judas saying, but go easy on those 
who hesitate in the faith. Okay, go easy on them. Now, I'm not, obviously, I'm not suggesting that you diminish the gospel. I'm not suggesting that we do anything other than contend for the gospel. But Judah's saying, you know, when, when you come across those who are really struggling with some things, here's, here's your approach. Your approach has to be patience. You have to be patient. Second group, verse 23. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now, the individuals that he has in mind here have gone a step further, obviously. These individuals are not just unsettled, wobbling by what has been said. They have actually begun to embrace and imbibe some of this. They've begun, as it were, to take a seat among the the scoffers. Now you, re- you remember, you know, the, the book of Psalms, how the book of Psalms opened in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so here's what's happening. They, they once really delighted in the law of the Lord, but now the scoffers have come in and told a different story. And some of them are beginning to say, well, I think I will take my seat there. Instead of embracing truth as being objective and universal and verifiable and ultimately proclaimed in Jesus Christ himself, they have succumbed to the idea that there are all kinds of truths. In fact, it seems far more appealing if you can have your own truth. If you can have your own spirituality. You know, don't cramp my style. You know, just uh, just believe whatever you want to believe. That seems far more attractive. After all, it's far more flexible. The other way seems so restrictive, so binding. And so for this group, the holy faith was holy unappealing. And Jude says, you better pull them out of the fire. Now, I don't know whether you envisage that as a big blazing furnace. Or whether you envisage it as something like, you know, you know a, a fire pit where they sit around and they said, you know, come over here. It, it's cozy at the fireplace. Come here and let's talk together about freedom. Let's talk together about fulfillment. Let's talk together about the things that really make life life. And let's not be bothered by all of this stuff that Jude and his associates are peddling about contending for the faith. Who likes contention? Who likes fighting? And Jude is saying, you go over there and you get them. You better pull them out. That's interesting. He says, 
you are to save others by pulling them safe. By pulling them. Now, of course, again, we know God saves. But the means that he uses in salvation include those who are his children. And he uses his children to spread his word, to challenge people, to uh, put an arm around people, if you like, and say to them, that's not the way you should be going. And, uh, you know, these uh, people, he says, you go over and pull them out. You know, that danger that they're in. They're in danger of being being scorched by this uh, error. Um, they're in great danger. So go get them. So in other words, if group one is, uh, go easy in group one. Okay, they're wobblers. Uh, You need to be patient, etc. It's go after group two. Now, what's the pulling? Well, I would say it's, it's the gospel, the pull of the gospel. You know, it's the it's the proclamation of God's immense love in Jesus Christ for those who are tempted to take a different path, believe a different story, and try to make it on their own. So the pulling is not so much an argument. It's relating the adventure of that love story that God left the realms of glory, came into the scene of time, to redeem sinners like ourselves. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And that's where some people say, oh, there's three groups of people here. Uh, referring to people who have gone even further than most and uh, their garments are defiled by the flesh. But whether you say two or three is irrelevant, I think, You know, these folks have gone so far. It will not be possible to intervene without putting oneself in danger. I think that's what he's saying here to others. Show mercy with fear. Why does he introduce fear? What fear? Well, maybe he has in mind the fear that Paul has in Galatians 6, where he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, okay, so there you've got the the fault. If any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, so not contention, in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Okay, in other words, if you go into that environment where they are, do so in the fear of God and in a realistic way because it's so easy to succumb to temptation. Go in with a realistic fear of your own sinful heart. Now, you younger folk will not remember this, but do you re- how many of you remember Arthur Blessed? Yeah, there's Roger has the hand up. Now you younger folk don't sure you don't. No. Arthur Blessed, he was a Marian. He came 
He came to uh, our Orangefield Baptist uh, in Belfast. He came to our assembly. Uh, what must have been around about 1971, 72. Hippie type character. Um, was that the spring or the summer? He carried this massive cross on wheels, on a wee wheel, on you know, two wee wheels. He carried it. I think didn't he carry it halfway round Europe? I think he carried it round Cumberland. But Arthur, blessed. When he was interviewed on one occasion, obviously because the press got wind of this, he says, "What I'm mainly doing is going into strip clubs and going into those type of environments." Now, if you know anything of the history of Arthur Blessed, by his own pilgrimage, subsequently the way it turned out for him, it bears testimony to the warning. You know, to the others show mercy with fear. His marriage broke up. And that, you know, in a relationship with with a girl some, you know, 30 years younger than himself. Some Some model. Um, yeah so you can say you know I want to go into strip clubs but you got to know your own heart you know you got to take care take care that you're not carried away by the lewdness of sinful people lest you lose your own stability it seemed to happen to Arthur you, you see friends some people are given peculiar abilities in areas like that, I don't think it's for everyone. Uh, not everybody could throw themselves into that type of environment. You know, William Booth, uh, as we well know, um, he was a unique individual, certainly for sure. Uh, he's the one who said, some people want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. But I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Not everybody's William Booth. The point for the congregation, for Jude's readers, and for ourselves, is to hate the sin. But treat the sinner with mercy. Treat the sinner with compassion. Just as Christ treated us with mercy. Treated us with compassion and grace. To realize that at times, from our perspective, it would seem that people are beyond hope. But we've got to remember, they're not beyond hope. Because they can still be the recipients of God's grace. Because this is still the day of grace. Because Jesus can save and does save fully and completely those who approach God the Father through him. You see, beloved, with God, failure is never final. You know, even for the folks who wobble, even for the folks who end up going a bit further than they should have gone, failure is never final. And so we don't give up. And we keep reaching out. And we keep asking God to open those doors.